good to have you, but I'm jumping right into a little mini sermon, a little tiny, little bitty, uh, and I'm not going to read a long passage, uh, and again, you'll know why in a moment. Uh, I want to ask a couple questions, and I really want you to answer these in your heart, all right, because these are very important. Where are you at currently in your personal, private Bible reading? You at home, those that I'm assuming were up and being live streamed at home, answer that question. Like, where am I at in my personal, like, what book of the Bible am I studying? And if you're having a hard time coming up with one of those, then don't fabricate one. Just be honest and say, I'm not reading my Bible. If you say, well, I'm currently reading this, how often do you read your Bible? How often do you let that go into you? You say, Jeff, is this important? Uh, My little mini sermon this morning is to try to impress upon you. This is extremely important. Everybody listen. This is important. Uh, Daily. I think we daily. The Bible talks about, again, before Ephesians this past week, my devotions had me in Romans. And in Romans talks about renewing our mind, having our minds and our persons transformed. We're being transformed by the renewing of the mind. You say, well, I'm a Christian. And we have access to the mind of Christ. That is true. But you still have an old nature. And you have all those years that you lived without God. And that is constantly pulling on you. So this week I was reading through Ephesians 2 in my private reading time. And it just kind of occurred to me. Jeff, you need to encourage your people to be reading the Bible for themselves. The, The hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes that we meet on Sunday morning. It's just not enough. And you say, why is it so important? All right, let me give you four reasons, and hopefully this makes sense. If we do not regularly and repeatedly, daily even, renew our mind and let the Word of God transform us, then some things are going to happen. Number one, we all need to realize this. This is a hot item button. This is a a definite realization that is taking place and needs to take place in our country, right? We need to change the way we think on things, right? All of us, you say, no, I don't. I'm right on everything. No, you're not. I promise you're not. Uh, I, am, I have some areas that I am wrong in the way I view. I don't, I don't know what they are yet. Or they may be just real subtle, and you don't, I don't even know why I think that way or have that view. Or maybe it's really bold, right? Our natural inclinations and our natural thoughts are not reliable. That's what I want to say. They are not reliable. All of us need to be changing, not to some other system that is also unreliable, but to be brought in line with the Word of God on a daily basis. We have to have this washing out the old and bringing in the new. If you don't spend time in the Word of God, you're not going to let, you're not going to be challenged in your thinking in the proper way. Second reason, if you do not, listen, this is important. If you do not regularly spend time in the Word of God, you may get swept away in the mindset of the world. There is a movement in the world and in our country, and it's definitely not reliable. It may have some positive things, but it's going to have some negative things. And and if we're not in the Word of God, we're just going to swallow it all, hook, line, and sinker. Don't do that. Here's where I was reading Ephesians 1. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Here's what God's Word says to Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's how we live. We walked in that. 
following the course of this world, the worldly system. Following, here's the key, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what's happening, if the Bible is true, and it is, the prince of the power of this world, Satan, is literally just leading along almost as if he has a hook in the nose and just leading along this worldly system. And we were once in that, but listen, we've been saved out of that. We're not in it. But if you're not daily in the Word and letting it renew your thinking, you're going to get sucked into a mindset, a a package, a bill of goods that are lies or laced with lies. Here's a third one. I'll be brief on this one. You say, Jeff, I'm not in the Word, but I'm resisting this worldly mindset that is so prevalent around us. You may be. But if you resist that worldly system, you probably will find yourself like me. I'm battling this sometimes. I pull up my phone. I see what's trending, you know, in articles and that, that news source and that news source. And honestly, just the headlines can cause me to become frustrated, agitated, and dare I say, resentful. And I'm probably the only one in here who's getting resentful sometimes towards some of the things that's happening. And you say, oh, no, I'm with you. We did Okay. <laughs> if you're not regular in the Word of God, talking us off of that ledge of resentfulness, remembering, wait, I've got my problems. They're just unsaved. They're just unsaved. They're blindly being led into things. I don't want to get swept up in that, but I don't want to end up hateful toward those people. Here's a fourth thing. If you're not regular in the Word of God, and some of you say, that's where I'm at, you're going to feel overwhelmed by all the things and all the headlines. And honestly, not a week was going to go by that you're going to be, now that? That on top of all, that's really what's being thought about or proposed? They think that's a good idea? We've got to be careful. We all need to change. We don't need to take up the worldly mindset, and if we're not careful, we're going to get resentful toward those that are just dead in their sins, following the the prince of the power of the air, just like we once did. By God's grace, he saved us out of that. And then, if we're not careful, we're going to feel overwhelmed. But one thing that I find is the Word of God constantly, over and over, I'm telling you, you can't go hardly a flip of a page. The sovereignty of God just oozes out of every page. And if you'll just let that wash over your mind, here's what, here's what I learn. And when I don't feel it, here's what I learn. Everything's on schedule. Everything's on schedule. God's sovereign. It's heading somewhere. All of this is for a purpose, and God is good. And we need to remember that. And you need more than an hour and a half of a B12 on Sunday to get you through the week. Ladies and gentlemen, spend time in God's Word. You are so privileged to be in a generation that has it in your own language. You have it on your phone, on your tablet. You have multiple copies laying at your house. Make time for it. Be systematic. Go through a book of the Bible and another and another. Read it only as fast as you can digest it and let it speak to you. I've got to be quiet. Today we have a guest speaker. Some of you already figured out the clues. That handout that was sent online is not from Matthew. Jeff doesn't have a jacket on today. Jeff's not wearing a microphone today. Jeff just gave a mini sermon. You weren't going to get away with nothing from me. I mean, really, you have to get something. I'm really thankful, though, uh, that we have Brian Waters with us today. I think he was with us about a year ago. 
most of you are familiar or more than familiar with, with Brian. Some of you are like, oh, I know Brian. I saw him like literally grow up at Northside Baptist Church years ago. So you know him really, really well. And our church has been supporting Brian and Sabrina since well before I got here. Uh, and that was almost four years ago. I don't even know how long they've been supporting. I probably should have found that out. Uh, on our Wednesday night prayer list, when we get back to that, you'll have these again. We have like 15 missionary projects or persons that we support, and Brian and Sabrina with First Priority Global are one of those. And so I'm really, really thankful that he's with us today. Uh, he was actually going to be with us back in May, uh, but we both, as we kept communicating, concluded we would rather him talk to an audience, a live audience of people, though normally you would be closer and we'd be fuller, and praise the Lord, we're thankful for those of you that are tuned in online even today, and we're so thankful for that. But this is a whole lot better than trying to talk to a piece of plastic on the top of a tripod. And so we kept putting that date back, and we kind of thought this would be a good time, and we kind of took a shot, and I think we're going to be back by that time, and so we set this date. And I'm thankful that Brian is able to be with us. Uh, so like a year ago, he gave us an overview, and he really walked us through very thoroughly of the strategies of First Priority Global. And today, I want him to do two things. He's going to update us on some of his work, even this year, earlier in the year, in Asia. And uh, he probably will have some pictures to go with that. And then I want him to share uh, just a word of the Word of God with us. You know, it'll be a shorter message because he's going to be doing two things at once. But uh, very, very thankful. God, we are grateful for, Lord, what you are doing through the ministry of First Priority around the world. God, I thank you for how you're reproducing the ministry in Africa through nationals. And, Lord, how you are, uh, these leaders in South, Southeast Asia are very excited. We thank you for that. We thank you that they are just, they're ready. They want to see the young people impacted with the gospel. Thank you for giving our team, just a privilege of being there in uh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, in Malaysia, and also in Singapore. God, thank you for uh, making that trip successful. God, I know that, uh, that you've got great plans there. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in other locations, God, through the ministry around the world. Thank you for the partnerships that are developing. And God, how you want to take this ministry to other nations who don't have it. And so, God, today, Lord, we've, we've come to, to look into your word as well. Um, God, we've just got a few more minutes today, but I just want to pray. God, in the time that we have left, that, God, you would open up our hearts. You would help us to, to think about your word. God, I pray that, Lord, you would speak, God, in ways that only you can speak. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, today. So I want to, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 1, and I just want to say, obviously, today I'm going to be lightly treating this text because we don't have uh, as much time, but also because I know, I think, you guys have been through the book of Romans. Is that right? So, and I am sure, if you've been through the book of Romans with Jeff, this, he's already gone way in depth on this text, all right? So no need for me to do that. Uh, and if you haven't seen that and you're watching online and you haven't watched it, please go back to the uh, website and check that out, okay? I'm sure it's there. Um, but today, I want to I kind of get us started, and we're going to talk about the transforming power of the gospel. I mean, our mission statement, I mean, I'm sorry, our vision statement with First Party Global is the hope. 
watching online, I'm sure you know it as well, that there is amazing transforming power in the gospel. Transforming power in the gospel. There was a few, uh, recently I read a story about a, uh, you guys are familiar with Wycliffe, I believe, probably, Wycliffe Bible Translators. I read a story about a couple who was in Wycliffe as Bible translator missionaries, and they were in Peru. And uh, during, one of their, during one of their turmoil times in Peru, they have an insurgent group that's called the Sendero Limenazo. I'm not exactly, I think it's translated Shining Path, but they were terrorists. I'm not sure where they got their name from. That's a bad way to call yourself. But, but during this time, this couple was traveling to a village in Peru to be able to share the Jesus film. Now, if you're not familiar with the Jesus film, it's about Jesus, but it's the gospel it's the gospel message. Jesus is a central part of the gospel message. And they're traveling to this village, and this terrorist group uh, stops them on the road, and they began to, to terror. They, want to terror. They, they thought they were going to lose their life. I mean, I would have been absolutely scared out of my mind. I'm pretty sure you would be too. But instead of killing this missionary couple, they decided they were just going to steal their equipment. <laughs> they were just going to steal their equipment because they were trying to stop them from going and sharing this Jesus film in this village. And so they shared, they stole their equipment and they let the couple live. And as the story reads, uh, several years later, one of the men came back to this missionary couple and he said, you know, I want to tell you what happened. <laughs> we took this film and your reels and all that they do to show it there. We took everything from you guys and we took it back to our base. And he says, out of sheer boredom in the jungles of Peru, we watched the Jesus film seven times, not once. They watched it seven times. He said it was out of boredom. They watched it seven times. And he, he, wanted, he came back to this missionary couple and he said, I want to tell you something what happened. We watched it seven times. Terrorist organization gave their life to Christ. And I'm coming back to tell you as missionaries that I'm not, now I've left that terrorist gang and I'm out preaching the gospel, doing evangelism, sharing grace. That's the transforming power of the gospel, right? And so today as we jump into our text, we're going to be in Romans chapter Romans chapter 1, but I want to, we're going to be in verse 16 and 17 only, but I want to highlight it as, as we read verse 14 and 15 here just for a moment. I, you know, as Paul is going to the Romans, Paul says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach this gospel to you who also who are in Rome. Did you understand what he said? In a moment, he's going to say in verse 16, not only is he, not, is he eager, not only is he obligated, but he feels he's not ashamed as well. But I want us to understand this morning that Paul has this really missionary heart, doesn't he? Do you this morning? I mean, when you think about the gospel, when you think about the transforming power of God that is in the message of the gospel, does that burn inside of you? Are you eager? Do you have an obligation like Paul did? He says, I want to preach the gospel. I want to share the gospel. And maybe this morning before we even get into this text today, we need to figure out what in the world is this gospel because he's eager about it. He's so obligated. He feels this burden to begin to share the truth of Christ with people in Rome who obviously he felt like needed it. And so if you don't know what the gospel is, I mean, today I just want to kind of just Take us just for a moment, just for a moment. If you've got a Bible, you can flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 to 4. And Paul, he just sort of gives you a definition of the gospel. 
<coughs> excuse me, here, Paul says, hey, let me just remind you, Corinthians in chapter 15, he says, brothers of the gospel, let me just remind you what the gospel is that I preached to you. He says, you received it in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And notice verse 3 of chapter 15. Before we even get into our text today, let's understand the gospel. Paul says, hey, for I... For I delivered to you as of first importance this message that you received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised, today, to, raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul says, hey, let me remind you guys what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ died in your place to pay the penalty for your sin. And God raised To in Romans. So as we go back, not only does he say that he's eager, not only does he say that he feels obligated to do it, as we begin for our text today in verse 16, Paul's going to say that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God, it is revealed from faith to faith that it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what's the question I want to try to answer this morning is why in the world was Paul not ashamed? We're glad that he was eager. We're glad that he was obligated. But the fact of the matter, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why in the world was he not ashamed? Because I think this morning that he could have been. I mean, let's face it. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to Rome, right? Rome is the capital city of the Roman Empire and. In that day and time, Christians were not exactly your elitist in that culture. I mean, many Christians would have been uh, maybe even slaves. They certainly would have been, wouldn't have been necessarily, necessarily rich in that class, but they might have been slaves of the Roman Empire. He's preaching a gospel about Jesus of Nazareth, who the Romans, if you remember, had a part in crucifying as Jesus of Nazareth. All right? They had a part in it. I mean, there would have been a lot of reasons, perhaps, that he might have been ashamed. Jesus was a central part of this gospel message that he's going to be preaching in Rome. And, 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 the, and the Romans would have been like, that's all a myth. He didn't raise from the dead. What about that crucifixion? Don't worry about that. He didn't raise. They wouldn't have believed. It would have been really easy for Paul to be intimidated going into Rome and saying, look, nah, let's let somebody else do that. I mean, this was a sophisticated culture. And they would have seen Paul as peddling some myth. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why. The first reason is simple, all right? The gospel is the saving power of God. It's the saving power of God. Isn't that what it says here? It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who will believe. Notice some words that are connected to the gospel. We already defined the gospel this morning. But let's notice a couple of words that are combined, conveyed to it. Notice that Paul says that it's the power of God. Paul did not think for one second. I can tell you today, this is one of the reasons he was not ashamed, that anything, any person's life that could be changed by the transforming power of God wasn't going to have anything to do with his eloquence about how to present any kind of persuading argument, I can assure you. 
Paul knew that it wasn't his power. He simply said, I, can't, I, I have a reason not to be ashamed because we're talking about the very power of God to absolutely break through and shatter. In fact, that's what this Greek word means. It's dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Where do we get the word dynamic in our English language? Paul knew that this simple message where Jesus as the simple character was capable and able of absolutely exploding through, if you will, the hardest of hearts, that the gospel message, because it's God's power, was able to break down any argument, any pride, anything in a heart that would say to God, I don't want you, it's able to. There's power in this gospel. In fact, if you look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, you'll notice that Paul echoes this in his message to the Corinthians, this very sentiment. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, and not only when I preach the gospel, look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17 and 18. He says, not, not with eloquent wisdom, remember that's what I said a moment ago, but lest the cross be emptied of its power. In other words, Paul was saying, look, I don't want to persuade people because I'm persuasive. I'm sure he was a nice orator. Okay, maybe he was. I don't really know. I don't know. Maybe Jeff could tell us. I don't know. Maybe he was. But here's the reality. He says, I don't want to empty the, the, the cross of Christ, be emptied of his power by my persuasive words. But he says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But listen to what he says. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul understood something that we need to understand something today is that, listen, when we are sharing this good news of the gospel in which Jesus is the center character of it, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with his power. He is the only one, the only one who can break through. And what he says in salvation, you know, that word is connected to the gospel. It simply means to rescue this it's the power of God for salvation. Literally, I believe this word means to rescue or to deliver. I mean, isn't it good to know that the gospel man can rescue people from the power and deliver people from the power and the penalty of sin? <laughs> isn't that good? I mean, why would he want to be ashamed? He's rescued people from the power of sin, holding people in bondage and... The penalty of sin saved, as he would say in verse 18, from the wrath of God against everyone who would suppress the truth. Saved, rescued, delivered. God has that kind of power. See, he was in Rome, right? And Rome was known for its power. Greek might have been known for his wisdom. Rome was known for its power. And you know from the day Rome had captured at that time most of the known world, right? I mean, Rome was the big bully on the block, I mean, it went out and just took, took nations. In fact, it had conquered the nation that Jesus of Nazareth had been through, Israel. It had conquered nations, nation after nation after nation. And so Rome was known for its power. Um, you know, but, but, but in reality, it was still a weak nation. I mean, in fact, if you were to read its philosophers like Seneca and Juvenal, you would see that this is what they said about Rome. They said that Rome, even though it was a powerful nation outwardly, it was a very weak nation inwardly because it was collapsing for moral decay. And Seneca and Juvenile would say that Rome was like a cesspool of iniquity. You know what a cesspool is? Not a good place, right? 
It's a cesspool of iniquity. Juvenile would call it the filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire drain, Rome. So there were, it might have been a, a mighty, outwardly it might have been mighty and powerful, but inwardly it was a cesspool of iniquity, of sin. And the thing that Rome might have been, even though they thought they were powerful on the outside, Rome was inadequate to change spiritually inside where they were. They were not able to make themselves righteous before God. They were morally bankrupt and morally corrupt. And so Paul, no wonder Paul was not ashamed. No wonder he was, I mean, he was taking to sinful Rome that they called a cesspool of iniquity. Paul was taking the message of the gospel, the only thing in the whole universe that was powerful enough to transform a person's life from the inside out. And Paul was taking that message he had taken it to Corinth. He had taken it to Ephesus. He had taken it to other cities that were wicked and that were weak and, and that were literally decaying from the inside out. And he had seen people come to Christ. He, in his own life, he had met this Jesus who had transformed his life. He knew that God could transform Rome. He could transform the hearts of those in Rome. So that's why he wasn't ashamed. In fact, he, he tied it to the word believe, he says, here's a conditional statement. It's only going to be for those who believe, and this is not an intellectual belief. You know, to receive this powerful salvation into your life, it's not about what you know intellectually about Jesus. This is a, a Greek word in the word believe here in verse, in verse 16 that simply means that they have to put their faith in, they have to adhere to, they've got to trust in the message and the person of the gospel, Jesus. See, we can all day long, we can just simply say, hey, we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. We believe he died on the cross. But listen, that's not going to save anything. We've got to hear to, trust in, and cling to the gospel message. And then there's something powerful that happens on the inside. So I don't, a lot of you don't know me. A lot of you were with me when this happened. I grew up here in Anderson and I uh, was at a church, and a big church in the town. And um, I grew up religious, extremely religious. A lot of you were with me. You knew that. When I was 19, I graduated from high school, and I know I was a year late. I went to kindergarten twice. Don't hold that against me, please. But, but uh, so I went, to, I, went to a, I went to a crusade. Some of you, I think, were with us that day. We went to a Bailey Smith crusade. My dad asked me to go. It was a summer. I was bored out of my mind. I just graduated from high school. I didn't really want to go. None of my friends when he went. But my dad asked me, he said, hey, son, come on, go with me. Some of you might have been with us. We went to Hartwell, Georgia. We sat in an outdoor stadium, 50-yard line, proverbial 50-yard line. No joke, we were on the 50-yard line. And Bailey Smith, the crusade guy, was out there preaching about the book of life and the book of works. And I'll never forget that night. God, for the very first time in my life, I think that was the clearest gospel presentation I'd ever heard in my life. And I had grown up in church for 18 years of my life, and had nobody had ever sat me down and said, hey, here's how you know you're going to go to heaven for sure. I remember that night that the convicting power of God was, was, was on me. I'm not even sure my mom knows this, this story. I'm not, she may. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but I remember gripping those bleachers that night. And I mean, I was gripping them with everything in me because I was surrounded by a lot of men in my life that respected me. They saw me grow up and they saw me walk down the aisle when I was nine years old and I followed this little girl who I was competing with, but that's a different story. And, you know, I don't know why I went. I really have no idea because it surely didn't make any difference in my life. And that was pretty obvious by, the, by my life. And so, I, you know, I gripped those bleachers at night because I was too proud to walk down, but God was convicting my heart. I went home that night and I'll never forget the next three months were the most miserable three months of my life. I mean, the conviction of God, you ever been, you ever seen, this is what's so powerful about God, is he begins to convict a person on the inside of their heart. 
began to show them their need for Christ, and that's what God was doing in my life. But I didn't want to tell anybody because, hey, I was a good little church kid. Everybody watched me. You know, I grew up in a big church, and, you know, they all thought that. So I went home. I was miserable for the next three months. We had a guy that started, uh, you guys might remember, uh, Glenn Shepherd. Some of you guys remember Glenn Shepherd. Glenn Shepherd came and was the first pastor at Northside Baptist Church, cranked off the church there uh, in Anderson at Calhoun Elementary School. And I remember he preached so powerfully, and I could see such an amazing difference in his life, and I was dealing with all this in my heart. And I remember asking him, I said, sir, I got to talk to somebody. Let's talk. And I remember we went up there on Liberty Highway where my mom and dad used to have a house up there uh, off of Giles Street right there. And, and I remember sitting at that old house right there at a kitchen table where Glenn and his wife were sitting. And we sat there and we talked. And he shared with me again the clearness of the gospel. And I'll never forget that day, August 21st, 1988, God radically transformed my heart. I was baptized in the swimming pool the next week. And the rest is history. God began to change that in my life. It began to transform me and began to, to really work powerfully in my life. But here's my question to you today. Have you personally, I don't know, maybe you're watching online today. Uh, maybe you're here today. I just want to say, have you personally experienced the saving power of the gospel in your life? And if you have, are you sharing that with the people around you in your life? I know it's easy to get so sidetracked with everything else. But are you doing that? So Paul this morning, as we, as we move on today, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew it was a saving power of God for every person that would trust in and cling to and adhere to the gospel into Jesus Christ and pour out everything they have to trust him. It's the saving power of God. Why would you be ashamed of that? Because it can do what nobody else can do. Nothing else can do in this universe. But secondly, and, and I'm, this is a small point here today, but this, secondly, the gospel has global significance. Notice what he says in, the, in the, the, the last part of verse 16. He says that, hey, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, he kind of gives a little precursor there, but then he gets more specific. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Many translations in place of Greek will use Gentile because the reality of it is if it wasn't a Jew, it was going to be culturally for the rest of that world it was going to be a gentile in this case he used the word greek in fact uh donald gray barnhouse the great pastor renowned pastor and theologian slash commentator wrote about this he says to the jew first and also the greek here's what he says he says this was a jewish phrase for expressing the universality of the human race University, sorry, universality, I can't even say it you get what i'm saying all right the reason for paul speaking of the jew and the greek here is evident He has come to a central theme in this book. He is a herald of the gospel. He was once an exponent exponent of a a narrow racial religion now announces that this gospel is the universal, universal power of God. It comes to the whole world. It is to the everyone that believeth. He could not forget the great option, I'm sorry, the operation of God in the past for Israel So he announces that the gospel came first to them, but he is careful to say that it's also for the Gentile or the heathen. He used the word Greek. He meant those who were outside. And so we notice this this text, and I don't want to go, I don't have time today to go into this. Um, So go back and listen to the sermon online. I'm sure it's there. Probably goes into depth. I'm guessing you probably go in depth about this because here's the reality. There's a biblical pattern there in Scripture. All right? God gave the Jewish people... And Paul knows this. He recognized this. God gave the Jewish people an opportunity. Hey, receive the kingdom. Here's my messenger, Jesus. Receive Christ. 
receive it. And so even in Jesus' ministry in the gospel, and even uh, in his disciples' ministry in the gospel, Jesus would say, hey, we're going to the lost children of Israel. We're going to the nation of Israel. We're taking this message of hope to the nation of Israel first. So Jesus would do that. His disciples would do that. But you'll notice in the New Testament, as you read the New Testament, that you also get scriptures in there that say, hey, that kind of give you glimpses that God had a bigger plan. When the Jews rejected the gospel, when they rejected Christ, when they rejected the kingdom, Jesus, God, that began to reveal what that plan of God really was. So you get text scriptures in there to say, hey, look, go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see that Jesus would say, go and make disciples of what? Every nation, right? So you were rejecting the Messiah in the kingdom, that God began to reveal this. But see, this was, it happened long before. This was in the heart of God. In fact, I want you to kind of look at Galatians 3.8 with me. I don't have it on the screen, but Galatians, if you look at just all throughout the New Testament, you begin to see Paul and his writings and other uh, writers of the New Testament began to lock into this very thing. Hey, this was in the heart of God for the world. All right, yes, the Jews are special people. You read Romans, he's going to get back to the Jews. I mean, he's not done with the Jews. He's got a special plan for the Jews. We should be praying for the Jews. We should be trying to reach the Jews for Christ. But God, you can begin to see these writers begin in the New Testament begin to really expound on what God's heart is. And you begin to see even Paul with insight to the Galatians. And here's what he, he said in, in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, and the Scripture, and this is Paul talking New Testament. He's going to go back to the Old Testament. He says, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Where was Abraham? The book of Genesis. Back in the beginning. Say, if you shall, and in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. Paul was already saying to Galatians, let me just remind you, that here Galatians, you're not justified by your works. You're justified by the grace and the message of the gospel. Let me just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, Galatians. Hey, God was already going to be blessing the nations, the nations, through Abraham's seed, and that would be Jesus Christ. All right? Notice also in Revelation, this is really awesome too. I mean, kind of the curtain of heaven gets peeled back, and you see God's heart for the nations. And he says, and when he, had, when he Jesus, this is in Revelation 5, verse 8 and 9, by the way. I know you don't have time to turn there, but just you just listen. And when he had taken the scroll, Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, in which, their prayers, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll. And to open its seals. And listen to this part here in in verse 9. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, I'm privileged to be able to to go out and share and train people around the world. And I know, but here's here's what I want us all to understand in Christ, in the gospel that we get a chance to proclaim. No wonder Paul wasn't ashamed. Paul was kind of clued in. Hey, God, I know you're doing something awesome with the Jews, but I'm going to Rome, and I'm not ashamed of this message I'm preaching because you care and love, and you've ransomed, according to this verse right here, you have ransomed already people from every tribe and every nation, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of impacting the world for Christ. You know, do you today... I wanted you to think about just, just for a moment, I, and I, I, unfortunately, I'm, I know I'm getting long-winded, and I apologize for that. So, but, 
You know, I, I just want us to understand today, and I, I, ran, I didn't run you a copy off of this, I just ran this off. If you don't have a copy of Glo- uh, Operation World, please get you one. All right, but this, this comes from Operation World, and it's simply this. In our world today, just so we understand the necessity and the urgency of global missions today, and we know we've got lost people living across the street from, each, from us, where we are. We know we've got lost people in Anderson and Anderson County, but I want us to feel the burden and the heaviness of this right here today. In our world today, about, let me just say, there are about 70, almost 7,400 people groups, that is distinct ethnic groups in our world, where there are 2% or less of their population who are followers of Jesus Christ. 7,400. That represents about 43 to 44% of our world's, of the 7 to 8 billion people live in our world. <clears throat> if you were to break it down individually, there's only about 10% of our world that are Christ followers. Of the 8 billion people on planet Earth, there are about 10%. 7.7 billion. I mean, the burden... That for us as a church, say, yes, let's reach Anderson. Yes, let's pray that the Lord would send out harvest. But we do need to pray that God would send out harvest and people into the harvest field, laborers into the harvest field. Because, listen, the world is in desperate need to hear this good message, this good news of the gospel, that Jesus can deliver them from the power and the penalty of sin. And he has made a way in Jesus Christ. It's very important. The world is a greatly needed place. And so I just want to, and I'm going to have to skip the story because I was going to tell you a story about when I was in India. But I want to ask you a question today. Um, what are you personally doing to impact, to impact the world with the gospel? What are you doing? Are you praying for the nations? Are you praying for the lost people that are across the street from you? Are you trying to reach them with the gospel, but for the nations? I mean, because this is global significance of the gospel. Are you praying? Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you investing in missionaries? You know, are you investing in, 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 in these mission offerings that the church has? Are you investing in placing your money and saying, God, I want to be a part of investing in your kingdom to reach people out there that have no clue about Jesus Christ are you even open today? Maybe you're watching online and you're saying, hey, God might be calling you. Maybe God's calling you to say, God, I'm here. Wherever you want me to go, God, I will give my life. Whatever you want me to do, I will give my life to go share the gospel. See, I think, I think the reality of it is this, that we live in a world a lot of times where we can be lulled to sleep. In the Christian world especially, in this, there's a thing called religious pluralism, and that is, we kind of begin to think in our mind, hey, God, this Buddhist, they'll find their way. The Hindus find their way. The Muslims, they find their way. And all in the end, we all end up in heaven somehow. It's called religious pluralism. It's probably the greatest lie on the planet. I mean, I can go anywhere I can go and ask that question. What do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? I promise you they'll come up with some type of variation of religious pluralism. Well, I, mean, I got my way, and this is, we're all going to be okay. Listen, that can only be true if Jesus is a liar and Jesus said, I am the way. He was the only God-man, perfect God, perfect man, died in our place. He was the only way that could pay the penalty for sin. He's the only one that can pave a way to eternal life. No religious system would do that. So today, I just want us to finally look at one more. Why was Paul? So Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power, the saving power of God. Because it had global significance. 
Paul was excited to get locked into what God was doing and what God's heart was for the nations. But finally today, I want us to realize that the gospel, Paul was not ashamed of this gospel because the gospel reveals a righteousness that only comes by faith. And I can only be a couple minutes on this, okay, today. So I'm, I know. And I hate to, I hate to short shut this verse because <laughs> I think the first half of Romans might be built on this verse, I think. Yeah, I think if you, you, you should go back. I'm just going to go and take because I don't have time to go into this thing super in depth. But <laughs> you go back and listen to the message, please, that's on the website. I'm sure that because this, this, on this verse right here, the first, I think maybe more than the first half of Romans, is built on this verse. As Paul is going to go and unpack this understanding that the gospel is, reveals a righteousness that only comes by faith. All right? That's why Paul wasn't ashamed. So he says here, for in him, I'm sorry, for in it, being the gospel, in verse 17, a right, the righteousness, not a righteousness, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In fact, let me read this verse in the Amplified Version, okay? I kind of like it. Uh, kind of brings out a little bit more of the language, the Greek behind the words there. It says, for in the gospel, here's the Amplified, the righteousness of God is revealed both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed in a way that awakens even more faith. As it is written and forever remains, the just and the upright shall live by faith. All right? So Paul is not ashamed here because he is, he is understanding that not only in this gospel message can God deliver us and save us from the penalty and the power of sin and begin to reconcile us to himself. Here's how God does the reconciling. Paul says that in it, God reveals this righteousness for us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that in a broad sense of the word, if we had time this morning, we could unpack that what does this righteousness mean, but I'm going to go ahead and just give it to you today because I, I, here, here's, here's what I believe that, in fact, I'm just going to, I'm going to quote uh, another commentator, Ray Pritchard, and here's what he says on this verse. He says that <clears throat> here's where the greatness of the gospel <clears throat> is clearly seen in this verse right here. Here's where the gospel is, the greatness of the gospel is clearly seen. It provides for us what we can never provide for ourselves, the gospel does. On our own merits, we all stand condemned before the Almighty. We do get that this morning, right? On our own good works, and this is the other side of the righteousness that we don't have time to explain or explore this morning. On our own good works, it's like, what does the Bible say? We're like filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness of God. So we automatically stand condemned when we insist, hey, I'm going to stand on my own good works. And that's what he's going to say right here. He says, on our own merits, all stand condemned before the Almighty who is there who, who, who is there that would dare to say, I am good enough to go to heaven? As someone has said, a clear conscience is a result of a poor memory. <laughs> the only people who think they are good enough to go to heaven are the people who don't know how bad they really are. Righteousness, and don't miss this part right here. This is really good. Righteousness is what we need, but we just simply do not have. Therefore, God, knowing that, that we could never be righteous on our own, has provided a righteousness which comes down to us from heaven above. It is not earned or deserved. 
but is given to us by God as a free gift. So here's the beauty of the gospel. And this is what what Ray Pritchard was saying here. Listen, when we come to Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, yes, we get delivered through salvation. This powerful gospel that can deliver us from the power of sin and 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 uh, and the penalty of sin, but... We need something that we do not have in order to be acceptable to God, in order to be able to draw near to God, in order to be able to go into the presence of God. We need the righteousness of Christ in us. And so when when we become a follower of Christ and trust him and adhere to Christ, God credits to our spiritual account the righteousness of Christ. So when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. Now that, why in the world would he want to ever be ashamed of something like that? Because God provides for us what we cannot provide for ourselves, and that is righteousness. In fact, this verse goes on to say, and, and this is really tricky, and I don't, we just don't, you know, I can't get into it right now, but he, he goes on to say that it's for, um, <clears throat> from faith is how we get that righteousness, trusting in Christ, but it's for faith. In other words, it's from the beginning of our faith when we do, when we trust Christ through the end of our, through sustaining us through life as we grow in our faith, transforming us in faith. So we live, we, we're saved by grace, we're saved by faith. We grow in faith, we grow in grace, we're, we're transformed and changed by God in faith and grace. But it's, it, he quotes the Old Testament here at the end. He says, but, so for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what is he talking about? You know, he says, you know, I think, I think is what he's saying, you know, righteous, I think this righteous character expresses itself. As God imputes into us the righteousness of Christ, as we submit our Christian life to let the Holy Spirit of God uh, sanctify our minds, sanctify our words, sanctify our lives, and we, we submit to God and grow in that grace and grow in our faith day by day, like that Pastor Jeff was saying in the Word, as we do that, this righteousness that God has given us, begins to lead to righteous conduct in our life. See, here's the thing. True belief breeds godly behavior. People who are truly, I mean, and it's kind of the opposite as well. If a man uh, who knows God, he will obey God. Not perfectly, but with the general tenor of his life because the righteousness of Christ is in him, we begin to walk that out in faith and begin to live by faith and grow in Christ on a daily basis. On the other hand, a man who can practice genuine righteousness because he possesses the nature. And this is, that's, a great, that's a great line uh, that I, I think is true here. It says that, that the, the only one who can practice genuine righteousness is because he possesses the nature of the one who is truly righteous on the inside. That's what he's talking about. This righteousness that God has given us in Christ through the gospel begins to... <laughs> transform us from the inside out so that it begins to affect the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we live. And that is by faith in Christ in our life as we grow. Powerful, transforming work of the gospel. I want to tell you this final story, and then we're going to end, okay? So um, several years ago, actually, Sabrina was with me. We were in Uganda, and uh, we were interviewing a girl named Winfred who was at Wakiso Secondary School. She was one of the first party leaders and we were interviewing her, and we were, we were talking to her about the impact. We asked her, what kind of impact is this first party ministry having on your life and having on the lives of your friends at your school? And Winfrey was telling us about this young man who was a Muslim young man. And this was a school that in Africa, many of their schools have Muslims all in it. And so they were telling a story about how the first party ministry and the first party club there and the leaders were 
loving on this young man who's Muslim. They were telling him about Christ. They were serving him. They were being kind to him. And they were talking about this Muslim young man, how, how filthy his language was, how bad he was. You know, obviously the religion didn't make much life in his, in, uh, much difference in his life. And they were talking about it and how Winford was saying that, hey, we continue to invest in him. We continue to pray for him. We continue to love him. We began to show it. And they, and they said after a year, they began to sh- continue to show him Christ. And they said after a year, this young man came to the first priority club meeting. And they had been investing in him spiritually and being Jesus to him throughout the year. He came, he heard the gospel, and he gave his life to Christ. And here's what she said. She says, now he's going around and he has influences all of his Muslim friends for Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the power of what Christ can do in a young person or any person's life. So today, whether you're watching online or whether you're here today with us, I just want to I just want to really encourage you, you know, to do what the Bible tells us that we do have been done. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation. The Bible is clear that if we're child of, if you're a child of God watching today or if you're here in person today, that listen, God has reconciled you to himself in Christ Jesus if you're a child of God. And he has given us this message, this responsibility to be messengers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And so I just want to ask you to really consider today, hey, before uh, Chris comes up, and before, I just want to ask you today, you know, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, whether you're watching online or whether you're here today, please reach out to this church. If you're not 100% sure today that, hey, you have a personal relationship with Christ, please reach out to someone. They'll be happy to share the gospel with you, be happy to help you experience this powerful, saving, transforming work of Christ in your life. But today you might be watching or you're here today and you might say, hey, listen, I've not been really faithful to be that ambassador for Jesus Christ that I should be. Hey, today could be a, a new start for you, a new start for me, you know, a new start for all of us today to say, hey, I want to take this gospel, this powerful gospel. I don't want to be ashamed of it. I want to share it so people will come to Christ and know him. Can you imagine, church, today what would happen in this church if every single person was as bold and eager and felt obligated to share the gospel with every person who didn't know no Christ. Can you imagine the impact you'd have on Anderson County? Powerful. Can you, Washington Online, if you're not from here, can you imagine the impact it would have on your community? It would be amazing. So let's pray together. Thank you, church, for being so patient today. And then we'll be, Chris will come on up. God, thank you so much. <clears throat> thank you just for the, the truth of the gospel. Lord, we don't have to be ashamed of it. Thank you for that, that, Lord, we at First Party Global, we believe this, Lord. We are predicated on this idea, and you know it, of not just sharing the gospel, but teaching others to share the gospel and live out their faith. And God, I pray that today that, um, Lord, you would sink the message in our heart, God, that we, like Paul, God, we want to be eager. We want to feel obligated, God, to people who don't know you. They don't know you. And so, God, just burden us, God. I think sometimes, Lord, our hearts grow so cold and we forget that, Lord, when people die without Christ, God, that it is forever and ever and ever. God, I pray that you would burden me more. God, deepen my heart's burden, God. Give me a deeper burden. And I pray that, that God, you would do that for everyone here. And so thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. God, thank you for putting in our hearts this 
this ministry of reconciling lost people to a holy God. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask all this today in your name.